the guy goes, look, you need to give us a danger beat. It's basically a story that is scary that can lead us out into a commercial so that people come back. And I was like, okay, well, what do you want? And he goes, well, I want you to get into a, into a fight with a bull shark. And I was like, there's no bull sharks in this part of the Amazon. So no. And you know, the guy was like, okay, well, what do you mean? No. He's like, we're giving you, this is a, a like gigantic multi-million dollar budget for this show. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. I think we should do that on this one, especially because the herb community was so... They hated me at eating a live <laughs> and stuff you should do it tonight okay yeah pop it up and then i will right. once but i definitely want to get more that. into your your story as well kind of the beginning because i want people to get the full picture you know so that we can hop into that after they know a little bit more about you as like an actual person not just the eating alive guy you know what i mean yeah. otherwise you'll have really interesting comments <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much you know but people need to know every side of the story with that being said i pressed the live button i should probably just start hey guys welcome to from the ground up so i'm gonna do this real quick real quick intro port city pythons we do have some shirts available as well as we do have animals available and if you guys obviously see Melissa is not here yet. She is out tutoring a kid right now, and she will probably be here somewhere halfway into the podcast. And then other than that, there are going to be Amazon links down in the description. Every time you click a link and you buy something on Amazon, it gives us a little kickback and supports the show. Now, that was a really short intro because I really, really want to get into it. Today's guest is Paul Rosalie. You guys may know Paul from the Discovery Channel's Eaten Alive show, but he is also an author, author of the book Mother of God. He is an Amazon enthusiast and spends a large portion of his time down in the Peruvian Amazon. So, Paul, first of all, thank you so much for being here. And then let's get a little bit into how does a guy from New York end up in the Amazon? Thanks, Joe. Um, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And... Uh... All right, so how does a kid from New York get into the Amazon? I mean, I went like the way most people start out. I, um, you know, I grew up catching black rat snakes and garter snakes and all that stuff in the Northeast in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And then um, I, there was there was one day in I, I dropped out of high school early because I was a terrible student and I absolutely hated it. And then in college one day there was. Um, Somebody, somebody had a piece of wood and they made a joke about how like, oh, we're cutting the whole Amazon down just for this. And it just like hit me. Like, and I remember all the days at like the Bronx Zoo when I was a little kid and I was just like, what am I doing? Like I should be in the rainforest. And I started searching everywhere for like internships and volunteer programs and tried to find something that like wasn't touristy at all and where I could actually do some good and, and be part of it. And then, uh, you know, I, I got a job. I mean, I'm talking about it. I was 17 years old. I got a job, saved up my money, and then uh, went to the Amazon. 
When I when I think of internship, you usually think of someone coming out of college. They're a biology major. They go down there. They do research. You're a high school dropout. So how do you just how do you just go down there? Like, what avenue do you take to find some type of position or whatever you got to do to get down there? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I was a high school dropout. I should mention, I went I went straight into college from high school. So I, I got out after sophomore year, got into college. So I was like going to classes and working. And, um, well, that's the thing I asked, like, you know, like a grad school professor, I said, okay, like, I really want to get to the field. And they were like, you're, you're, you're a freshman. What are you talking about? You're never going to go to the field. And I was like, no, I'm going to the field now. Um, and so I, I, I hit up everybody in South America looking for positions that you didn't need to be qualified for. And I found, um, there's a, an, an indigenous Peruvian man and his British wife, who were running this tiny, tiny research station on this super wild river. And they were basically like, send us an email. It's going to be months before we get back to you on it. Um, you know, and, and they were doing, they were doing at the time a, a macaw survey for this guy's PhD project. And so really the purpose of it was to go help out with the macaw research. And of course I was just like, you know, I want to find snakes. I want to see jaguars. I, want, I mean, I was just, I was just wide eyed. I wanted to see everything. So. And now as someone from New York, also, I, when I went to Alabama, people didn't trust me in the woods, let alone the Amazon. So how did you kind of prove yourself as someone basically from the city going into the middle of nowhere? Like what was the process either getting used to that or also having people trust you out there? Um, well, yeah, that's the good thing about the Amazon. Like I, I grew up in New York where everything is so safety conscious and, and regulated and everything. And, uh, I showed up there and I assumed it was going to be like that, where they were like, you know, you're not allowed out by yourself. You're not about, this is an indigenous guy. He was pretty much like, look, man, if you get eaten, like that's how the jungle works. Um, so they, you know, they, they give you the ground rules and stuff, but what really kicked it off was I made friends with him. His name is JJ. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about him a lot tonight. Um, Cause I've learned so much from him, but he, uh, he at the time, all right. So this is where it gets interesting is that the, Indigenous people in the Amazon, at least in, in my part, they don't, you know, they hunt deer, they hunt birds, they hunt different things, they fish, they know all the nuts, they know all the trees, all the things that they need for survival. They don't really deal with snakes. It's not like Southeast Asia, you don't have a cu culture where they eat snakes. So he knew almost nothing about snakes. And he was like, yeah, man, like he walks barefoot, he does all this stuff. And he would tell me, he goes, I'm terrified of snakes. He goes, if you could teach me snakes, I would, I would be so happy. And I was just like, Oh my God, I could teach this guy something, which, you know, I was learning 99.9% .9 was learning. And then I was just like, by the way, here's how you pick up a rat without getting bitten. Like, and he was just overjoyed. So it was like very quickly. That's how I distinguished myself was the snakes. That's awesome. So you kind of immediately found a mentor out there. Yes. And so what were you doing? Like, how'd you get used to the bugs, the nematodes, uh, all the weird things that happen out there? I mean, was it so surprising? Like just the abundance of wildlife, whether it be insects and animals and all that? No, I think, um, I don't, I don't think there was any, uh, any of that. Like I got there and I remember the first day we actually, we saw, we saw a snake crossing the river and, JJ was like, let's jump in the water and see if we can grab it. And when, when I jump, you know, you're from New York, you hear like, okay, there's piranhas in the water, there's bacteria in the water, there's all this horrible stuff. We jumped in the water and like the river bottom is just sand. And I was just like, oh, like where I am, like lakes are filled with, you know, like seaweed and stuff. And 
And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, the water's good here. And he's like, yeah, there's big fish, but they won't bother you. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like slowly you start learning that everything you know about the jungle is just a lie. It's not that dangerous. Like, yeah, there's nematodes and there's bot flies and there's dengue and stuff. And it's like, you get those eventually. Eventually you catch them all. I've had them all. <laughs> but uh, it's a slow process. The first time you get a bot fly, you're like, all right, why is this horrible pimple like, you know, twitching at night? You can feel it going. And then, you know, they, they take it out and stuff. I, I had no problem. I had no like adaptation period. I just, I was just like, I love this. The trees are gigantic. The water is pure. You can drink from the rivers. And I mean, it's like, it's like, I really felt like it was going into a movie. It was like everything up until that point was like normal life. And then it was like, you get into the jungle and it's like, you're, you're in this movie where, or this, this other reality where everything is wild, where there's just, just, just life everywhere. And it was like, to me, I didn't feel the bug bites. I didn't feel, I didn't feel anything. I was just so excited to be there. For sure. Now let's talk about a little bit. How did you end up when you were so comfortable and you end up kind of like striking it out on your own and some adventures going on on your own? Like, how do you, I mean, I guess you learned a lot along the way. So kind of explain some of your adventures. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, everything hinged from meeting JJ and like, so he was teaching me like, so he'd, he'd take me, they started taking me on hunts. So like when the indigenous guys would go out to hunt like wild boar, they'd ask me to go with them and they'd be like, okay, we're going out on a hunt. And they'd be like, take your shoes off. You know, and then you're talking about the jungle where you have, you know, thorns this big and you have, you know, bushmasters and fertile lances and bullet ants and all this horrible stuff. Um, and they were like, yeah, just take your shoes off because you're not coming with us with shoes. It's going to make too much noise. So you take your shoes off and you get thorns in your feet and you have all the horrible experiences. But, um, you know, I learned a lot from them. And then as I kept learning, they were like, yeah, well, the way you like take it to master class is you, you go out alone. And they kept telling me how there's these places that are really far out there, like way, you know, like a week past the last village. And then you got to go past the last little camp and you get to places where the animals have never seen a person. And then, of course, they were telling me, like, oh, the anacondas there are huge. There's giant anacondas with ears and, you know, all this, all these crazy local legends, um, you know, which their craziness can be debated. These guys aren't usually wrong. They, they know the jungle pretty well. Um, but, yeah, so the, the first time I was down there, um, I went out and spent – I got lost. And I spent a night sleeping on the ground and woke up covered in leafcutter ants. And they leafcutter ants will take anything that has salt on it and they'll, they'll cut it up. So I woke up with like pieces of my shirt missing and there's just ants carrying away my clothing, um, which was, which is an interesting way to wake up for sure. <laughs> so how do you, how do you make sure that you're not going to get lost out there? Was there any time where you're like, okay, I'm going to die out here. Yeah. 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 Um, in, in the book I described where I'm like, there was one time I went out and for like three days I was stuck in a swamp and it was like, it was like Blair Witch stuff where you're just like, you're going around in circles and you're going around in circles. And then you, you're thinking about the map and on the map, it's like, okay, like there's a river this way to the East. But then if I keep going West, it's like, that's it. It's going to be months and months and months by the time you see another human, if you ever make it out, if you can survive that long. Um, the only cool thing is that once you know how to survive in the jungle, like, you know, you have like, let's say like Alaska, New York, Florida. And then by the time you get to like tropics, if you know how to survive, like, man, those rivers are so filled with fish and the trees have so much fruit on them. Like, you know what you're doing? It's not that bad. As long as you got a machete. Now there's 
kind of it's hard to think of that there are still places that aren't touched by humans i mean have you gotten out there far enough and do you think that there's still i mean plenty of things unexplored in that area of the amazon well i mean there's constantly things happening i know um researchers on my river uh with this other organization called lpac they recently found a spider monkey that instead of just having four fingers spider monkey has like a little thumb that's a huge discovery and then like um you know there's constantly little new plants and new insects and all this stuff being discovered a few years ago i know scientists discovered something like 360 new species just on the Tambopata river like there is so much stuff that we have no idea about. And of course, when you're in the rainforest, we're on the ground. We're on like, you know, zero to five to six feet walking around. Half the life is up in the canopy and we don't have access to that. And even the best guys who can climb up a tree or have the rope systems, whatever else, you're going up one tree, you know, and actually getting to different trees and seeing how things move. It's, it's, there's so, there are worlds out there we haven't seen. Yeah, so wild. So what is your biggest concern when you're going out there? Is it wildlife? Is it conditions? Is it other humans? I mean, what's your concern? Yeah, other humans is the big one. Like, you know, loggers and poachers are scary. Um, I know on our river a few years ago, we had uh, two guys got into a fight over Brazil nuts. And one guy shot the other. Guy one shot guy two, and it took his jaw off. And then... Guy two lived, but his family went back and went to guy one, and then they killed him with machetes. And when it went to the courts, finally, after weeks, um, the courts in Peru were kind of like, well, you shouldn't have shot him. And uh, are we good? And they were like, can we just like, we're done here? And they're like, it was just frontier justice. Like, that's just done. <laughs> that is wild. Stuff. So that's why Brazil nuts are so expensive in Whole Foods. That's right. Because you got to risk your life to get them. Jesus, that's crazy. So how do you? No, the people are great. I have to say that's like an, that's a one-off. I've, I've traveled with poachers. I've traveled with loggers and stopped at so many indigenous villages. And they're like, man, they're like the friendliest people. Even the loggers, they're like, what are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm a conservationist. And they're like, ah. they're like you're trying to save the trees. <laughs> like they think it's ridiculous. Um, but they're friendly guys, man. They're they're unless you like tell them that you're going to arrest them or something, they're not going to bother you. Now, did you go there speaking English, or how'd you kind of assimilate? Uh, learn Spanish slowly. Yeah. Now, um, did you did you stick out immediately just by basically what you're wearing or how you dress, act, talk, all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say that I'm pretty hard to to pin. Like people, when I'm in India, people think I'm like Iranian or that I'm like a Muslim. Or, um, and then you know, when I'm in Peru, they're like, "Are you a gringo or are you from Brazil?" And they're like, they, they're always trying to figure it out, and like it's it, it it helps. And then a lot of times, if they figure out that you are a gringo, it's like you're like, yeah, that's why I have this camera, and like I, you know, I just want to see wildlife. Like I'm not here to take your Brazil nuts. I'm not here to anything else. So most of the time and i've had it where i'm out on like a solo for weeks and like i come back to civilization and you run into like loggers or something and they're like you look messed up and they're like who are you and you're like oh I'm like don't worry about it just like do you have a boat do you have like water and they're like yeah, yeah, yeah. come on come on like they're, they're friendly out there it's, it's fine to stick out as far as i can see can you explain a little bit uh because 
obviously going through the book, the picture that stands out the most is that picture of you with whatever infection is all over your face. So can yeah. you give us a little backstory of that and kind of how you got out of that? Yeah. So I got um, dengue fever for my first time. And at that, that year I had gone down in between college semesters. So like January and there was an orphaned giant anteater on our river. Someone had killed her mother and this little anteater was, was uh, just walking around. So we talked to them, we got the anteater and I ended up taking care of this little anteater. And like, she became my best friend. We were going around the forest together and giant anteaters carry their babies on their back for like months when they're born. So these things have a really intimate connection with their mother and the mother takes them around through the forest. And when they sleep, the mother will curl around the baby. So they're, they're actually very emotional animals. And so this little anteater wanted to like hug something all the time. And so I'd have her on me and she'd, she'd have her arms wrapped around me with those, those huge claws they have. And adults have bigger claws than a grizzly bear. They have the largest claws of any mammal. And so I'm taking care of this incredible little animal. And then I got dengue and I was like, I'm not, you know, I can't pass this up. So I went back to town to get medication, called my parents, said, I'm not going to be on spring semester. So sorry. Um, and then, but while I was in town, I got blood drawn. And it was at that clinic that I got MRSA, which is anti antibiotic, antibiotic resistant staph infection. And I went back out into the jungle and man, it was not pretty like week, like a week went by and not so good. And I had like a lot of mosquito bites. Now my skin is clean. I'm in the jungle. I'm like a native. They just don't bother me. But at that time I still had the reaction from mosquito bites and I still would scratch it a little bit. And so I had little, little pock marks all over my, my body. And what happens is the infection would get into your, into your nails. So as you're going like this, you're just, you're just crop dusting it all over your body. And then, yeah, I, you know, you do this and stuff and pretty soon you're covered in it. And then at that, I don't know what I was thinking, but back in that time, I still shaved sometimes and I shaved my face and I shaved my lip and you know, that makes all those micro cuts. And I woke up in the morning and I remember not being able to open my eyes because my face was fused to the pillow with pus. <laughs> and I was living two days out in the rainforest with an anteater. No one else was there. And I'm 19 years old now. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to die. I didn't know what disease it was. I didn't know if there was any cure for it. All I knew was that I had a high fever. My vision went to black and white. And there was no boats coming down the river at that time. So for a few days, I was out there and I was just like rocking a crazy fever thinking I was going to die. Like I was like at the point where I was like, I should start writing like the, the goodbye mom and dad note. Um, like this, here goes Christopher McCandles into the wild the Amazon version <laughs> right? got eaten by infection. And then, uh, a guy came to check on me after a while. And then he spent a few days there, like kind of taking care of me. And then we flagged some poachers. They had a boat full of black caiman, spider monkeys, howler monkeys, birds, uh, skins and pelts and all this stuff. And I, I went out with them, got to, got to the city and then got on like an immediate flight to JFK. And that was, um, on the flight, I like sat there with my face, like dripping all that disgusting green and yellow pus. And I remember the, the woman next to me, like looked at me and like, I kind of like looked out of my hood, like Smeagol and I was like, eh. <laughs> and she, uh, she got up and never came back. And then, and then when I got to, uh, when I got to New York customs, the, the guy goes, you know, like, you know, show me your passport. He like looks at the passport and he looks up at my face and he goes, buddy, what the fuck happened to you? And I was like, <laughs> 
I was like, dude, I just want to go home. I want to see my mom. I want to go to the doctor. Please let me in. And he just <laughs> go, 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 go. I was surprised I didn't like throw you in some type of quarantine immediately. Well, that's what I thought they would do. They didn't do that at the airport. But when I got to the hospital, um, they threw me in like the room with like that window on it. It was like ET. It was like the end of ET when they all show up in the hazmat suits and like that um, was like in the thing, like with my hand against the glass and like my parents were outside crying because they all thought I was dying. And But the doctor said that if I'd gotten back a few days later, I would have. So that's crazy. And then your parents were like, OK, just go back to the jungle. You can go back to the jungle now. I mean, when did you go back yeah. after that? By that point, it was established that this wasn't like, you know, a, a weekend retreat. This was a, a way of life, you know. So it was, it was just rest up and, and do it again. I mean, I've, I have friends that have had more malaria more times than they've had hot meals. I mean, you you work in the jungle. That's what happens. Now, you were kind of mentioned before that your skin's clean now. Does that mean like you don't react at all to mosquito bites anymore? That's right. I don't react to mosquito bites anymore. Sand flies are, are just like I don't mind them anymore. Uh, ticks don't bite me anymore bullet ants which is supposed to be the most painful insect bite in the world i've been i've been stung six or seven times now and it used to take me about 24 hours to to get over it like headache and fever and all that stuff and now it's like after an hour i'm just like all right like it's fine like i'm your body adapts man like i'm telling you we belong in the jungle that's crazy. That's kind of blowing my mind a little because that's like the first thing that people think of, I feel like, when you go out there is like, I'm going to just get destroyed by all types of outside uh, things. Yeah, and I mean, I now I run an ecotourism company and I'm protecting all this land. And like when, when people come in and they're like, okay, I want to come to the Amazon for three weeks, their first question is like piranhas, candiru, insects, and like, you know, how am I going to die? And we're like, yo, like, relax and they're like well i don't have to go in the water right and it's like well you don't have to but like i'll be swimming in it if you want to come like people think like you're just going to die around every corner like it's, it's fine there's 20 million people that live in the amazon babies grandmothers like you know <laughs> it's, it's really not that bad now out of all this when did you start were you journaling the whole time like when did you decide that you were going to write a book about it yeah i don't i wish i knew i wish i knew what um I think I was so in awe of going to the jungle that I started keeping a journal, uh, which I'm so glad that I did. And because before that, in my prior life as like a kid, I'd never journaled or anything. And then I, I just started writing down everything. I kept snake skins in the pages and feathers and leaves and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, just, you know, it, it, you know, the reason it, the reason the book actually came about was because I'd come home and people would be like, you know, tell us what happened this time. I'm like, oh, I saw a jaguar. Oh, I saw my first anaconda. And then I realized you, you always tell stories or I would always tell stories to like groups of friends or at a party. And it's like people are joking and I'm joking. And um, to me, I love hearing people's stories. I love like really hearing what they were thinking, what they were feeling. And I love reading books. And I, for, I just wanted to get these stories down in a way that was like, you know, that reflected what the weather was like that day and why we did this and what the locals said that led us to do this, you know, to choose this route on the river. Um, it really kind of just, just, I wanted to get it down right. And then I showed it to friends and family. And then a, I, my older cousin was just like, dude, you should write a book. And like, sometimes it just takes a person saying something with that confidence. Like, trust me, you're good at this, do more. And then I did. That's crazy. So talking about stories, 
Um, Carol in the chat brought to my attention that we left the anteater story unfinished. So what happened to the anteater is the question. Uh, so uh, she was named Lulu by the local people, a name which I would not have given her, but that was her name. Um, so Lulu, after I left, she eventually, I mean, the JJ and Emma kept taking care of her after I was gone. And she, we've had a few animals. We've had a taper. We've had cans. We've had, we've had a bunch of, of rehabbed animals and they, they kind of end up spending more and more time away from the humans in the jungle. And then one day they just don't come back. And that's what happened to her. So hopefully, hopefully she made it as, as long as you can make it in the jungle. Well, there's jaguars moving around everywhere, but man, she was the cutest thing. Like, you know, they, their tongue is like, like long, you get a 12 inch tongue on a baby anteater. And like, if I was napping and she was on, on my chest, like she would, she'd be like, wake up, I want to play. And she'd start like nudging me with that, with the nose and I wouldn't wake up. And then she'd take her nose and put it to my nose and put her tongue like down, like the back of my head and into my throat. And like, I, oh, I've had anteater. <laughs> all through my head <laughs> i don't know why you got infections that's weird you know weird man i have no idea so so how does all this i mean the book must have happened like right before eaten alive or how did that turn into that show basically oh, oh, oh they're very unrelated i mean the book um the book was going to come out in 2014. I'd say about 2013. I guess we're on we're 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 on eating alive now. Um, so we uh, 2013. I would say I started getting calls constantly from every television network: Nat Geo, Discovery, Animal Planet, all of them, BBC. Um, and they were like, you know, the stuff, the videos you're putting out are crazy. Like, you know, could you give us this? I'm like, yeah, of course I give you that. But then it was always like, okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And my life is still like that. I still get a new television proposition every week. And now I know better. I know to just turn them down um, until something good comes along. But at that time, it was really exciting when Discovery came along and they were like, look, we love what you're doing with anacondas. We'd love to come and learn more about anacondas. So I was like, okay, cool. And uh, so we had a meeting and they were like, look, you know, anacondas are great, but you got to give us more. And I was like, what? <laughs> Like, what's more? Like, I can take you into the Amazon and catch you the biggest snake in the world and tell you all about how gold mining is affecting the ecosystem and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, 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 we want that, but we want more. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we kind of had to abandon the idea because they wanted more and we didn't know what that was. And then I was sitting in, they like flew me out to LA and I'm sitting in an office with like a producer and he goes, we're just talking, spitballing. And he goes, has anyone ever actually gotten eaten by an anaconda? I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, but those people live in villages at the edge of the world. And like, if your little old mom gets eaten by an anaconda and you live in an indigenous village, like you're not taking a selfie with the anaconda and like, you know, or writing a scientific paper about it. You're just like, that sucks. And then you, you go keep on harvesting Brazil nuts. Like, um, and, I, and, and we got, we kept talking about it and I was like, you know, I was like, just to, to, to prove it to everyone. I was like, these, these snakes are so big. I mean, I've, I have a six foot wingspan and I've, I've jumped on anacondas that I can't get my arms around and um, they're too big to catch. And I was like, I should just like throw myself in some kind of a suit and get eaten to prove that it's possible. And the guy was like, that's it. That's it, kid. And I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, 
And then uh, it was just a slow, gradual spiral after that. You know, they were like, do it. And I was like, no, do it. I was no. And then finally, they were like, all right, look, if you do this, we'll let you talk about conservation the whole show, like a two hour show. It's going to be the biggest show Discovery ever did. We're going to do a fundraiser for the jungle. We're going to let you start doing anaconda research, all these amazing, wonderful things that they bargained. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was asking my friends, I asked Jane Goodall, I was like, you know, what, what do I do here? And pretty much everyone was like, this is a terrible idea. And I was like, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, if you get 5 million people, if you do something that, that really gets people to tune in, even if you don't get eaten, you know, I mean, how hard is it to get a snake to eat? Um, um you know, so I, I just, I just said, you know what, screw it. It's worth a try. So, who came up with that ridiculous suit? Whose idea was that? Because, like, obviously, you can't get eaten alive by just wearing nothing. But then again, like, who the hell makes a suit to get eaten alive by an anaconda? How'd you know it was going to work or not work or whatever? Well, I mean, I, I, I told them, you know, I explained how a snake eats, and I, I told them, you know, if it was going to happen, you'd need a smooth suit, and you'd need a breathing tube, and you'd need a communications thing, and. They spent $200,000 making that suit. Whoa. <laughs> $200,000 could get you a lot of snake research and can protect a lot of rainforest. They spent it on a suit. Well, I mean, they weren't going to. I mean, that was never in the cars, I'm sure, for them to spend that money anywhere else but on some crazy TV show of someone getting eaten alive. But how do you, um, like... Did you, were you worried at all? Like, did you think that you were going to actually get eaten alive at any point? I mean, it's possible with a snake that big, you never know. Like, you know, I've seen a defensive response turn into a feeding response with a snake where you, you know, you, you put a, you put a mouse in there and they're like, ah, get it away from me. And they just bite it because they want to bite it. And then they wrap and then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, cool. Like this is warm and nice. And then they go in. So like anything's possible. Um, so I went into it. We really, I told them exactly what I needed. I made them make the suit well. Um, but I mean, my mind was more on, this is going to be such a unique draw for people and, you know, get so much attention. And then from there we'll launch out other things. So even if we're not successful, we'll just go on to the next thing. And, you know, um, you know, we started doing Anaconda research. We, I filmed hours and hours and hours about, um, how gold mining affects the the health of the fish and moves up the ecosystem to the apex predators, which are anacondas. I mean, we filmed all this great stuff and then, um, you know, and, and then we had all kinds of problems while we were down there. Like this is one of the things that like no one knows that, um, while we were down there, there was one day that like, a, um, a, a, <laughs> someone's going, that snake was way too little to even remotely come close to eat him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That happened in Kansas City. Um, it was a total, total joke. Um, but, yeah. but it wasn't even in the Amazon, which is what really is funny. But uh, to give you an example of what I was dealing with during the process, at one point, we, I get a sat phone call from a, from you know some executive sitting in an office somewhere. Um, and the guy goes, look, um, you need to give us a danger beat it's basically a story that is scary that can lead us out into a commercial so that people come back and i was like okay well what do you want and he goes well i want you to get into a into a fight with a bull shark <laughs> and i was like 
<laughs> there's no bull sharks in this part of the Amazon. So no. And you know, the guy was like, okay, well, what do you mean? No. He's like, we're giving you, this is a, a, like a gigantic multi-million dollar budget for this show. Um, and, uh, they, uh, <laughs> so the guy goes, all right, well, I need a danger beat. So I'm calling you back tomorrow. I said, okay, calls back tomorrow. He goes, okay, we got it. I talked to the board or you know, whatever. And he's like, you guys are going to be going up the boat, up the river in a boat. He goes, this will make you look good. Don't worry. I was like, I don't like, I don't, I don't give a shit about looking good. Anyway, he goes, this will make you look good. Don't worry. I said, okay. So he's going, we're going up the river and he goes, you're going to pull the boat over to the side and say, everybody watch out. There's black piranha in the river. And then you're going to take your bucket of blood and you're going to pour it on the other side of the river to distract the, 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 the terrifying fish. And then you're going to sink the boat around and your team will be safe. And I said, where am I going to get, where am I going to get a bucket of blood out in the field? <laughs> am I going to, am I going to slaughter one of my team? Are we going to go hunting for wild boar? Like, where is this bucket of blood coming from? And they were like, look kids. And then, so I got the third call and they were like, stop asking questions. Like you're, you're going to fuck up. Like we're going to come after you. And they, they used a line saying something like, we'll sue you so bad that your grandchildren will be poor something like that. So I was like, okay. I live and in the then, Amazon, dude. I don't need money. Get out of here. Yeah, I was like, dude, good luck. Sue me. I was like, you can take all the money in my little bank account and buy yourself like, <laughs> like a Prius. Um, and uh, they like, so then they they call back the final day, and I said, okay, look, what if we're in a stream and we feel like an electric eel warning, and then we have to get everybody out of the stream? And they were like, all right, fine, we'll take it. But it was like from bull shark to buckets of blood. To ju- I mean, it was just, it was just these people in suits that have never been outside of an office building coming up with what they think would be cool in an Amazon adventure. And we're out there on the ground in the real life dealing with venomous snakes, Amazon tribes, like all this real stuff. And I mean, we caught a 19 foot anaconda, 18 feet, six inches. Um, you know, and then of course, in the final show, if you watch it, you'll hear that it's 19 feet, six inches. They changed that. Um, they didn't give, they didn't care about research. They didn't care about conservation. They just wanted the highest ratings possible. And it was just, I was just, it was like, it was, it would make a great movie. It would make a great like coming of age movie where like, you know, you start getting flown to LA and treated like a whatever. And then they take you to the jungle and they tell you everything's going to be great. And then fast forward to the morning I was supposed to be on like the today show or whatever show, the one with Matt Lauer. Mm-hmm. And they sent me the final version of the show and i'm like going live to to america in like six hours and i watched the show and i was like guys none of this is is what you told me was going to be in the show like this is a horrendous show none of the science is there none of the whatever was there and i was like i will not do it like i will not i was like i'm gonna stick to my guns and i got the phone call again and they were like dude our lawyers like we are a multi-million dollar company like you, <laughs> you have you have no chance of defending yourself against us and like let us know if we need to send somebody to handle you before you go on live tv and like they're basically just like let us know if you're going to be a problem um so it, it got it got pretty intense and then of course once the show came out no one cared about anything else except for that i wasn't actually eaten by an anaconda which is like so stupid like who gives a shit we actually caught the largest live wild caught verifiably measured anaconda that's been caught we got a world record and like the way the show was edited like no one seemed to care um now do you realize now, that everyone wanted you to die 
die? Like they're mad because you didn't die. die like they do, they want well, you to no, get eaten. I mean, it's like, but obviously you're alive, well, so you didn't get eaten. Well, I mean, that's the thing. They said like first, you know, oh, and that was the whole other thing. Me telling Discovery, don't call the show Eaten Alive. So in production, they called the show Expedition Amazon E A, and um, then the night before the show, it changed to Eaten Alive, and I was like, whoa, 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 I did not okay this. And what's funny is like Opie and Anthony, Jimmy Kimmel, like all of America, every person on Twitter, they were all like, you lied to us. You did this. You did this. And it was hysterical because, I mean, there was death threats. There was like, you know, you wasted two hours of my life. You you risked the life of a snake. You piece of shit. Go die in a hole. Like all these crazy attacks. And, uh, you know, uh, I was dealing with, you know, I was just a passenger on this on this giant discovery train. And they've made they've made documentaries about mermaids. You know they 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 have a, they have a record of making some pretty ridiculous uh, content. So like, it didn't bother me when everyone started freaking out because I was just like, wow, this is just you know, I'll just watch it all burn because this is just great. Now, obviously, the whole reptile community didn't like the whole lead up to it because it was like they made it out to be like a giant event. I mean, they must have put more. Um, things into this as far as publicity and stuff like that that almost any discovery channel show at the time and it seemed like you know they were doing the play of dangerous animals dangerous animals and it doesn't seem like that was your original intention no i mean i'm the first one i'll tell you the mosquitoes won't get you the fish won't get you like i mean i i've i've had so many animal encounters um and none of it's dangerous. You know, people are constantly coming to me going, you know, what do I do about a rattlesnake in my yard? I'm like, go do something else for 20 minutes and come back and it'll be gone. Like, um, but yeah, that was one of the things that they kept going on and on about the danger, the danger, the danger. Um, so one of my favorite stories of the whole thing is that when we caught this 19 foot snake, I'm holding this snake. The head was this big. I mean, it was so huge. It was the size of like a football and, 19 foot snake it took 10 of us to catch it it's actually it even the way they edit it it's still amazing um and so you know it was like the best moment of all of our lives and we have the camera on us and they're like man to talk and i was like this is such a beautiful animal she's making babies and this is like an apex predator in this ecosystem and i've dreamed my whole life of this and i'm giving her a kiss on the head and all this stuff and just totally um bonding with this snake and then the producer leans in and goes now let me ask you this he goes if that snake was to bite you, what would happen? And I mean, again, head this big, like think of a full-size reticulated python. I was like, if she you, I was like, she'd tear you up. You'd have to worry about your, your arteries popping. I mean, you could die very quickly. And she, her crush strength is unbelievable. Guess which part made it into the show? Not the part of me saying that it was great and wonderful and, and beautiful, yeah. but the crush strength and the death and the blood. Um. So it was like it was like that, and so that's when the reptile community started going nuts. I was just like, you know, okay. And then out of every out of every ten thousand people that was like freaking out, there'd be worse that was like, don't any of you get what's going on? And I was just like, yeah, right on, man. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, there was a whole string of shows, uh, Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, all that were doing those hype shows about animals, dangerous animals, all that thing at that time. Uh, were you? Did you have to stay in the states, or were you able to be like, peace out, everyone? I'm going back. What do you mean? 
stay in like the state after, after the show came out and obviously you had to do a few shows after the fact as far as publicity goes or talk shows whatever that is but how much how long did you have to stay in the states with say you know the internet around you and tabloids and crazy stuff and twitter and all that um they had me do one week of like crazy stuff where i was on like fox and msnbc and all like every show um but once it blew up i like wrote an email uh, not an email i wrote like an essay saying like this isn't i didn't tell them all the stuff i just told told you but i said you know we did a bunch of science they didn't put it in the show we did this they didn't put it in the show this isn't the show that i signed up for and when i did that they took that as like that I had stabbed them in the back and I got a phone call and they're basically like, we will need nothing further from you. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, bye. And uh, that was that. So if someone approached you again, not from the same channel, would you flat out no interest? No, I mean, I've, I've had people approach me and say, like, do you want to take Slash from Guns N' Roses into the jungle and, like, you know, help him survive? And like, I was like, yeah, like, whatever, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Like, um, and, then, and then there's a lot of – the thing is the American TV is just whacked right now. Like, nothing authentic is selling. And so um, – you know, I get a lot of BBC requests where they're like, do you want to do a show like going to different like lakes of the world and telling people about different lakes? And I'm like, look, I run an ecotourism company. I run an organization protecting rainforest. I'm doing research. I'm writing a book. Like I'm filming my own stuff. Like I don't have time. Like I don't need to be on TV. Um, so, so I pass those. I pass like five shows every month. Like I'm like, no, 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 no. And this has been going on for years. And then every now and then someone will come to me and they'll say like, hey, what do you want to do? And I'll be like, I want to profile an endangered species every week, do like a a solo, like go out into their environment, like Sumatran tigers, reticulated pythons, you know, everything. Just go to all the different things and talk to the experts and talk to the local people who are doing good work and like have like almost like Anthony Bourdain meets conservation meets man versus wild, like where you're just out there teaching people and like doing cool stuff. And they're always just like, yeah, we've never seen a show like that. So we're not going to do it. <laughs> um, weird, weird coincidence. We were literally having that discussion the other day. Yeah, because unfortunately, it seems like they see one show successful and then they need 10 shows that are an exact carbon copy with just little tweaks to it with different people. Yeah. Yeah. And but- interesting little side um, right now uh, in the last years it's it, it might be evening out now but a few years ago at least like movies were sucking like movies every movie was a superhero movie and like a or a, a sequel or a, you know you know tremors nine and like um <laughs> and then you had then you had television coming out with like breaking bad true detective da, 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 like all these brand new hard-hitting shows and the same thing that's happening in tv and nature tv has happened in the movie industry except for that in the movie industry all the old execs that only go with like yeah let's make a peter rabbit movie those guys are now they're they're failing and all the big studios are failing and then you have people like netflix who are coming up and just being like yeah we'll take the new stuff we'll take vice hbo boom and all of a sudden television was beating the movies because no one will go for a new idea which is pathetic so um 
But I so, feel like yeah. the same um, thing's happening with Netflix now. Well, the same thing's happening with it's, everything. Uh, people aren't look- willing to put their money on any, they're not willing to risk their money. Just rich people in offices don't, yeah. don't want to give creatives the creative space to do creative things, whether it be, <laughs> you know, they don't want you to do the show that you want. So no. where, where do you go from here or what are you doing now? Well, like I said, right now I'm running uh, an ecotourism company called Tamandua Expedition. So I take people to the jungle. I bring two different universities to the jungle and I guide for them. I still work with the indigenous people in the Amazon and do a wildlife rehab. Uh, this past, in the last few months, I've been working with this guy from National Geographic who we did like this scales and skin series where we had snakes in my hands and all of it was about how like these totally wild snakes were just totally happy being in our hands and we never got bit. We filmed over 22 species. We shot over 22 species and I never was bitten by a snake, um, which was so beautiful. It was so awesome to do. Um, and so now I'm just, I'm just keeping on. I have, I have a, a, a film crew from Amsterdam that read my book and they, they contacted me and they said they want to do something. I said, you know, convinced me they went to the amazon and filmed stuff and it was beautiful so i saw what they filmed and it was so pure more documentary style in the sense of like um like documentary films like 180 degrees south or like miru or or, uh, free solo that's out now like so they want to come out next year and follow me on a solo and film it like i'm wildlife like i wouldn't be talking to them i wouldn't be eating with them it would be me on solo and they have like a team of five local guys following me and they're going to film me. I don't know how they want to do it. I told them they're not going to be able to keep up, but um, <laughs> they want to try. That to With me sounds interesting. Too. I mean, they got to pack out gear and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever, but so yeah, I'm just, you know, writing, writing books. Um, I've, I've been transitioning a little bit to India, working with tigers and elephants. Uh, my wife and I spend like three to five months every year in India we kind of split our time between everywhere. And so uh, I'm working heavily on the new book right now. And, uh, you know, Amazon stuff continues. I'm there for, I'd say, about four months a year. So is it going to be a book in the same style as your other book? It's kind of going to be a memoir of your adventures? No, this book this is such a weird story. Um, I, I had, so I, I mean, my wife and I have spent tons of time basically tracking tigers so you have in India, in the Amazon, you have huge forests and then little islands of people like cities. In India, you have humans everywhere and then you have little islands of forest. And tigers and elephants have to move between those patches of forest to find mates, to find new grazing grounds, all that stuff. Um, so we've been, we've been studying this for years. And I'd say about six years ago, um, now the, the, that's, that's, that's the India side of it. Now, six years ago in the Amazon, uh, an Indian family came to the Amazon and there was this little girl and she, uh, she's just incredible swimming in the rivers, jumping in the trees, catching snakes, rescuing butterflies, 11 years old. And, uh, I stayed in touch with her after I guided her in the Amazon. And one day I get an email and it's actually on the morning we were going to start filming eating alive. I woke up at four in the morning and I had an email and it said, I, somebody found tiger cubs and we don't know where the mother is. And this girl was like, I'm going to go help them. So could you tell me what tiger cubs need to live? And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, what? what? Like, this is like a, a little teenager telling me she's going to go rescue tiger cubs. And like, 
you know, in the end, maybe the mother came back or didn't, but um, I, I almost flew to India at that moment. And, you know, cause I knew with her that she might actually do it. Um, but that became a story. And so this story, I took all of the true events, all of the tiger encounters and the elephant stuff and all of India that I've soaked up and really made a story kind of like a modern day jungle book with like a female Mowgli where this little girl finds tiger cubs and has to take it back to the jungle. So it's kind of like call the wild meets jungle book. Um, you know, and it's, it's like kind of like a realistic fiction, but it's been fun. Awesome. So that's totally, totally different in the way of uh, stylist. Totally. totally different. <laughs> so, I mean, people are going to kill me if I don't ask you a million questions on snakes that you found in the Amazon. Yeah, let's so, do that, man. That's especially, especially we'll start out with something that a lot of our listeners love, which is Corrales, which are going to be your your emerald tree pythons and your Amazon tree bow or that wow. emerald tree bow wow. is wow. an Amazon tree bow as people are going to kill me now that it's I said that. You just fucked that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Well, go on. <laughs> what, have you found Corrales in the wild? Oh, yeah. Amazon tree boas, I'd say I could pretty much go out on a given night and like within two to four hours find you an Amazon tree boa. They're pretty they're, – they're everywhere, man. And they have such a big eye shine. Like you look like 15 feet in the air, you're going to find one. The weird thing is I've worked in the Amazon for 12 years now and never seen an emerald tree boa. And people find them like right and left. Like I'll literally like I'll leave the jungle and I find out that that day later on somebody found an emerald tree bow. And it's just like I have something. There's some sort of um, like a, a, the universe just doesn't want me to find an emerald tree bow. So you have lived every day in, day out, and you have not found one. That's crazy. <laughs> no, man. And I, I spend – I would say I spend like like two, two to four hours a night on the trails. Like we're out every night looking for stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, the only thing I could say is that I'm, you know, there's terra firma forest and there's floodplain forest and, and we're up on the drier side of the forest. And a lot of the people that are finding these things are down on the floodplain forest. And it seems like they like the canopy on the floodplain side. So maybe I'm just not, you know, in the yeah, right spot, but it's just, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous though. I've been, I've been in floodplain too. And it's just, I just have had terrible luck with the emeralds, man. But I've found, I've found one, one in two days, we found a yellow Amazon tree boa, a gray, a pink. And there was one other one, like really cryptic, crazy, all different colors, but they were, you could tell they were all babies, probably from like the same mother, all in the same area. And it was just, just like a rainbow of these things. It was incredible. Yeah. That's what's amazing. And it's like, we don't know the extent of it because obviously as imports, they come in all different colors and all wacky colors or captive litters they're crazy. But I didn't know that it was so spread out even in uh, like out in the wild in a litter in one area. I thought maybe the different colors were from, from different certain places. localities or different things like that. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I have. With social media now, I, I have, you know, all of my friends on social media are people that work all over the Amazon and India. And, and um, you know, I'll see that someone in Ecuador will find a color pattern or a morph that I've never seen. You know, like we have like maybe like, you know, seven or eight different things that we find. And then they'll have a whole different color spectrum up there. And 
so there, there is that like geographic variability, but like where we are just like, like I said, you get like solid yellows and you get the pinks and you get all different stuff. And that's just, it's incredible. Sweet. So we'll go on commonly kept pet snakes here. Uh, rainbow boas. Oh my God, man. They are so much fun to find. Um, we find those, I'd say they're like a one, once a one a week snake. Like they're, they're pretty common. I've found them on the ground in the trees and in the, in the, and I mean like the canopy canopy, like tops of tops of giant old trees. Um, and the weird thing with the rainbow boas is I find that when I catch them, they're like super, super calm. They won't bite. They're not defensive. They're just like, what are you doing? You're picking me up. That's cool. And then like after about 15 minutes, they're like, wait a second, I'm going to tear your face off. And then they, <laughs> then they, they I'm sorry. I'm, la- <laughs> I'm laughing at the Condros comment, and you're like wrong side of the earth, dude. <laughs> well, I guess. <laughs> well, sure. Evan, Evan, really, his whole lens of life is through the lens of, of Condros. Condros. He just can't even. He can't help himself. So, have well, you been? To, have you been to that side of the earth, and have you found any? <laughs> I, I haven't been to where where there's Condros, and it's funny because I actually, of every snake on earth, I have to say, I think. That is the most beautiful snake. Uh-huh. There are things that are more dangerous, more colorful, more everything else, but it really comes to like close up macros on a continent. Man. Like there's just, just nothing like it, man. Uh, I'd love to find one, but no, I've never been to Papua New Guinea. I've, I've been to Indonesia um, working on retics, but, but too, too far north for chondros. I mean, emerald has to be a right. Emerald's second. pretty close. I was very disappointed. You said green trees well, are. Lost. No, I, no, no, no. I see. I, I'll, I'll, everyone's going to get so mad at me right now. But emeralds are beautiful. But they have a they're and and I should talk with the fucking nose I have now. <laughs> and the the green tree pythons have such a beautiful like figure eight head and everything's perfect. And the condos kind of look like haggish sometimes. And like, but like the body. Yeah, the body, but it's not body. all about the body. Like, it is weird. all about the body. I'm just joking. <laughs> <Getting weird. laughs> uh, now, what I'm, what I'm curious about is in 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 the in, in the community here. Is there any? Does is there anybody that keeps Krebos? Yes, actually, like, we've we have had a, um, my friend Riley, who was in the chat earlier. I don't know if he's still around. He keeps. Yeah. Um, all the dry marcons. So he has yellowtail Kribos. He has blacktail Kribos. He has, I don't know if he has the Mexicans. He has the indigos. Uh, we had a guy, Justin Michaels, on the podcast a little while back. He has all the dry marcon, that whole genus. So yeah. there's definitely people who keep Kribos. So I have, man, uh, that gets the most, to me, that's the most exciting catch of any snake. I haven't caught a black mamba, but, um, when you see a Kribo in the jungle and it's like 11 feet long and, you know, they're just so beasty there. Um, they, they, they'll just start running and you got to run after them and then you get them by the tail. And it's that same problem where even if you have a hook or a stick, they're longer than, than that whole system. So they're going to get you. And like, man, I've seen them bite onto stuff and they just chew and they don't let go. Um, and one thing that I could send you guys when I release it is earlier this year, I pulled a raft over to the side of the river and I hear something and there's a young yellow tailed Kribo eating a red calico snake. 
And that's not a predation that's ever been recorded before. And I got it all. It was like a really sunny day. And like, I got it all on, on video and everything, but this thing just pops this other snake down like spaghetti and races <laughs> off. These prebos are brutal, man. They don't even bother constricting. They just like shove birds. <laughs> on their throat. They're just like, yeah, man, you can kick around in there. Like, I don't care. <laughs> They're like honey badgers. <laughs> that's awesome. So, is there any animal besides the Kribo? Well, snake will stay on snakes. That is your favorite to see in the Amazon. Oh, uh, I mean, in the Amazon, I mean, obviously I love anacondas, um, but I don't know. It's, I actually like a lot of the really small, beautiful stuff. I like a lot of the really small, harmless things that you can, that you can hold in your hand. I'm not a big venomous guy like i mean i've worked with bushmasters and stuff i've caught one was like 11 feet i mean they're so big down there um and the fact that they have the, the keeled scales and uh like i didn't know that bushies have um the spike on their tail and so the first time i had one i had it by the head and all of a sudden the, the spike came and stabbed me in the net neck and i just i mean i was already like my heart was just pounding and then all of a sudden i feel a, a stab <laughs> oh my god um, it was terrifying, but, um, no, I like, I like all the, the small little things. We have so many strange little snakes, um, on my Instagram is like, you know, we have this thing we call the swamp snake. We have calico snake We have that black skin parrot snake, those green ones with the black skin that just, you know, crazy. I like all that stuff. Um, cause to me, to me, the fun of it is, is sort of being able to hold them like a Kribo. You can get into a fight with a Kribo and, um, you know, at the end of it, you put them back down on the ground, and they, they, they speed off. And like, to me, like a fertile lens, it's like, you can't. You know, what what do I what am I going to do with the fertile lens? Well, yeah, there's no interaction there, and it's not exactly big enough to. There's no safe end, or there's no anything. Yeah. So, so no, those are, those are not um, those are not that much fun. I mean, those are considered the most dangerous snake in the Amazon, though, as far as the amount of encounters and the possibility of stepping on one. Is that true? Yeah, in terms of. Like, all right, so as far as I know, the Russell's Viper still has the title for the most deaths every year. So, like, in terms of encounters, yes, Fertile Lance would be the most the most deadly. But obviously, if you're talking about, like, venom composition or, or like, deadliness of the bite, then I would go with the Coral Snakes. I Actually, then I don't think – then Fertile Lance, no. Then I would say Bushmaster or Coral Snakes. I'm way more scared of a Coral Snake. I mean, you know, for some reason, Vipers – you know, I feel like I understand them more. A coral snake, they have this way of like flopping around like a like a like a worm that's been killed, and like you, their 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 tail looks like their head, and it's like it just gets you know again not 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 that into it. So you're um, actually scared of something? No, uh, no. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I just it's kind of just like. You know, it's kind of like looking at it's just not worth the the, the risk versus the reward. I'm just like, eh, you know, I'd, ra- I'd rather I'd rather do something cool. So yeah. I'll take a picture of it. You have to mention uh, boa constrictors. You know, oh, red tail boa. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, we found some absolute beasts, man. There's a the first one we found was like 30 feet up in a tree. And it was like huge like a monster monster boa constrictor and i didn't think uh, a snake that big could be arboreal and um i mean this thing was sitting up there right near some howler monkeys and i went up and caught it i mean i'm talking 30 something feet in the tree 
and just so nasty and so defensive. Like they'll just whack you and whack you and they roar. They'll actually like roar at you. And, uh, they're, they're, they're beautiful. That's, I have to say that's another one next to Condros boa constrictors might be, might be, might be in the top three. Um, I love them. And then this year we had, I got to town to the, to the, like the hotel I stay at when I'm not in the jungle. And there was a baby boa constrictor that had a machete cut across her, her back. And if anybody's interested, it's, it's, it's on like the saved stories on my Instagram, but we, we took this baby boa constrictor in and then we tried to feed her. Um, and she wasn't eating. We got her chickens. We got her like a little mouse, nothing worked. And then I was like, man, if she doesn't eat, you know, maybe, maybe she's messed up from getting hit with the machete and like, I can't release her. And if I can't release her, well then it seems like a pretty good reason to have to have a pet boa constrictor. And, uh, eventually we did get her to eat. We found like a baby rat in the jungle and she took that round and then, uh, then, then we let her go. But yeah, I absolutely adore boa constrictors. Man. I love so our friend Brandon asked, how heavy bodied are the ones you find in the wild? Like absurdly, like they're so dense. Like an anaconda to me is um, like a, a little more fleshy. Like they're not, I wouldn't call them like, like if we're talking bodybuilders, like, you know, like you talk like world's strongest man, the guys are big and they got fat. So like a bodybuilder, they're like shredded and like, to me, an anaconda is like the world's strongest man. You have like big, beefy, soft anacondas. And then you get to the boa constrictors and like when they S up and they're like in their defensive thing, like you see all, all the sinew, you see all of those muscle fibers and like they're just they're, – they're a much tighter snake and they're super athletic. And I also find that because their scales are so small compared to – every other snake like a Kribo or a king cobra has those giant shield scales that are so hard um boa constrictors have that very very fine delicate scale so when you touch them they feel so smooth and like mm, they're just so beautiful so it's easy to make the conclusion that i mean these animals are big enough to take down those monkeys in that tree so he was definitely hunting up there or you think he's taking down birds more so Oh yeah, no, no, no. They're they're way big enough to take down a, a, a howler monkey. We've seen them take down macaws, and I mean macaws are big. Um, macaws are really big. Uh, we've seen um, this. Uh, this drives me crazy because local guys cut open an anaconda and found a boa constrictor in its stomach, which that's weird. Um, but yeah, the, the boa constrictors get as big as they need to get. Man, they're they're and they're like they're just, they're able to go everywhere. Like they're down on the ground, they're up in the trees. And I mean, there's nothing to stop them. They're such good climbers. Just amazing. Now I didn't know, and I don't know much about anacondas, but I didn't think that they were really snake eaters. I don't think that they, I wouldn't like put it in line one of their description. Like I wouldn't say that they are snake eaters like at all, but it does happen. You know, I mean, they, there you can you can look up on YouTube. There's videos of them cutting open like pretty big anacondas with another anaconda inside of it. Um, and I think once they grow, you know, once they're three or four years old, I don't think any snake A is going to come into contact with an anaconda where they live, and B, like an anaconda almost couldn't really predate on like the smaller snakes because it's it's almost like it wouldn't even matter. It'd be like us trying to eat like a nematode, just like you know. <laughs> um 
uh, yeah, no. So I don't, I don't, I don't think of them as snake eaters either. I think, but I think again, I think that two anacondas fighting can very quickly turn into like, well, I got something, so I'm just going to eat it, you know? Yeah. Opportunistic. Um, okay. Two questions. So you talked about the bow constrictor with the machete in it, and you said it might be a good reason to have a pet bow constrictor. How is it possible for you to have pets with all your traveling in different areas of the world? Well, uh, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not really possible. That's why I don't have any snakes. Um, but what I was thinking is like, okay, if I went through the effort of getting her, her, you know, vaccinations and, and, you know, the whole, what's it called quarantine period and getting her to the U S that I would find either, you know, friends that I could keep her with or something. But I mean, if she couldn't be released in the wild, you know, you fall in love with these little things. She was so cute and, and it actually gets cold in our part of the Amazon and I would put her like on my shoulder while I was like editing and she would go, I was wearing like, you know, like a hat and she would go up the hat and she'd curl around my head. And it was like, she was just like a lover. She just, she just wanted to hang out. And I was just like, man, if this snake doesn't eat, like I would just love to have her around. And like, I would, I would figure something out. I'd find someone that wants to keep her all the time and I could just, you know, go see her something. So I could, so I could keep in touch. <laughs> Get visitation or something. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, like I, oh, go, go. No, I was going to say like I get Sundays with her or something like that. <laughs> Every other <laughs> Sunday when you're in town. <laughs> yeah, with the chaperone. <laughs> um, my other question was back to your your tourism company you run. So, yeah. I mean, is it a thing where like anyone can sign up and you'll take anyone out there? Is there like certain prerequisites? Like you have to not be a complete idiot or like... <laughs> well. That's that's a that's a minor problem we've been dealing with because like ninety nine percent of the people that come are like I want to see the rainforest I want to you know experience the Amazon or I love adventure and I like hiking and camping and most of those people are really cool, um, and then every now and then I'm I'm apparently just well known enough that every now and then I get like a crazy fan, <laughs> and which which it makes me never want to go outside again, and then. <laughs> And then, and then you do every now and then get like a, just a bad personality, you know, people uh, come out to the Amazon who are like disturbed or like, um, you know, we had one guy who was like, oh, I'm going to quit smoking. I do two packs a day, but I'm not going to bring any out into the jungle. It's like, that was a terrible idea. Like, you know, you, you freaked out and maybe you should do this shit somewhere else. <laughs> like, not the time to, to not, quit. Not the time. I mean, I look at it as you know, we're deep enough in the jungle that you are all in sort of like a uh, agreed upon survival situation where you're like, okay, we're all out here. We're all way past the grid. If anything wrong, ha anything bad happens, we have to evac you and it's going to take a day and a half. And like, so like you want every group to just be like awesome outdoorsy people. And it's not always the case. And, you know, we have to be ready for that. And we are. So what is involved in these? Like, do you take them out? I mean, what kind of tours do you go on? Are there different kinds of it? tours? Are you looking for certain animals? Are you just hanging out? All the little details. No, so the, the point of all this is protecting the whole habitat. And so like, um, like to us, like we have, we have like, you know, it ranges, man. I have, so like we have student groups come down for a few weeks and like I take the students out and like they have research projects that they're going to do, like counting plant species or um, testing like the, the medicinal qualities of medicinal plants, like the chemical compounds in those plants. 
Mm. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we just like get high all day. <laughs> the Amazon has a lot. We lick some. We lick some filamedusa bicolors and just you know check out the universe. <laughs> um, but um, no, it's it's cool. The, the students are fun, and then like you have groups of like older bird watchers, which are easy to guide because they can't walk that much. And uh, then like the hardest thing that you have is like we had one time we had a group of Finnish like special forces guys that were like, look, we want to come to the jungle and we already work as a team and we've already been through like harsh wilderness conditions. We want to like go up one river and then cross over to another river and then raft down. And it was basically like a serious jungle expedition where like, you know, if somebody dies, somebody dies. Um, And we do that too. So it's all kinds of stuff. No one did die. They worked like a well-oiled machine. It was tons of fun and we saw amazing stuff. And it was like a week. It was like, I think it was like six days of travel through jungle. Um, and of course, you know, like we, we still, like I still work with JJ all the time and, and we try to employ all local people. And, uh, you know, the other side of that is that we try to bring in funding to protect more of our river. Cause like our river is just getting killed by logging right now. And it's like, you see this completely pristine, beautiful place with these giant old trees and every time you go away for a few months and come back, it's just a little less wild. It's, you know. Is there, I mean, what can you do to stop the like progression of that? You have to find a way to buy the land. I mean, look, the, the, the thing with conservation is we are, we, we are, see, we are seeing each other like virtually right now. I can call up my friends in India and have them on my phone. Like we just have space travel. We've done amazing things not cutting down a tree isn't that hard. What's hard is that, you know, you have periods of boom and bust. So like, you know, like in the, in the, in the U S in the seventies, environmentally things were terrible and you had rivers catching on fire. And then like now things have actually improved. You have whales coming back to New York. You have, you know, rises in a lot of animal populations right now in Peru as like, they're kind of, I don't want to say developing, but they're, they're going through, you know, growth. Um, you have a lot of people that have no other work than cutting down trees. And as long as stupid Americans keep buying mahogany flooring, um, they're it's like the blood diamond principle. It's like, as long as we keep buying stupid diamonds, like African people are going to keep killing each other. It's like, you know, it's, it's, so someone has to be there to do the very boring, unglamorous work of like talking to local authorities, trying to convert loggers, providing them with alternate ways of, of earning an income and it's like you just have to do it, protect the forest. It's not complicated. It's really not complicated. I mean, in situations like that where it's like they do that, I mean, their life is so much more dependent on it than, say, our job. We do some random medial job that we do, but their life is depending on that little bit of money that they make in order to make a living. Like, how do you give them? I mean, what other Options choices they do they have? have? Oh, I mean, that's there's boundless um, – there's boundless answers to that i mean in africa they've taken elephant poachers and made them elephant game rangers you know what i mean like and they love it and i've i've taken guys that are loggers and they help me guide tours now and they drive boats and they do all kinds of other things craft making and they're constantly man i just had my friend pico who's who's in mother of god he's in the book he came up to me one day and he was like looking around he goes man he goes i wish you could have seen when i was a logger he's like this is so much better and like it's safe and i'm clean and like this food is good because you brought a chef and like I get to talk to all these cool people. He's like, man, I hated logging. And it's like, 
he didn't want to be cutting down the trees. Like he loves the, uh, he loves the jungle. Um, so it's really, it's really just that it's a very, very, very simple problem, but it's so big and there's so many other things. And of course, in a place like Peru or India or Africa, you're, you know, a lot of the time, or even here, um, you get to the point where it's like, okay, here's a wilderness area. Somebody wants to build a road through it because it'll increase commerce for their city. They call up the guys that build roads and the guys that bulldoze trees. And everybody is like, yeah, jobs for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's all make money together. We need this. And so like you see that everyone, you know, there's huge motivation for all of those different interests to work together. Right. And so it goes through and it's like conservationists are fighting against us being like, okay, well, look, you have to understand that all of this is creating our fresh water and our clean air and our soil and all these other things that we need in a really like hard to imagine way. And people just want the dollars in front of them. So it's like, so, I mean, we're down there doing everything that we can do, writing grants, bringing people down, um, just trying to protect this habitat because it is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I should tell you that one of the, one of the most fun things I get to do as a guide is I get like every one out of seven people is like, I am terrified of snakes. And it's just like, okay, See, sit don't down. Get that shit. Why are you going out there? If you're, I am terrified of outdoor snakes, so I, I would never, yeah. that's a weird word, I'll snakes outside of our house. So I would never go there. Why would anyone do that? I don't hey, get but it. Why would you not go somewhere just because of outdoor snakes? Like, it's a very minor thing. Like, they're there for birds and adventure and, like, rafting and all this yeah, other stuff. Yeah, you're not going to be tripped Because it, it's not just, snakes. it's the snakes and the mosquitoes. And the, <laughs> I, I wouldn't get the joy out of it, and I would ruin his joy. I so would be that, dragging her along That's just dumb for me to do it. That's why I don't get why anyone who's afraid of it, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think this whole, like, outdoor snakes thing needs to become its own uh, thing. <laughs> You guys seen any outdoor snakes? Hold on, I got I got a couple computer in. <laughs> well, you're just not a very surprisingly not a very outdoor person. I never really met someone who liked the outdoors as little as you, and I really like being outdoors, which is kind of a weird thing. Yeah, we're complete opposites. I hate being outside. I'm- I've dragged you to see outdoor snakes. Yeah. But it's and what never happened? Been, it's never been a positive outcome. For <laughs> That's me, the thing. Really. I maybe it's like if I was a person who was like, okay, face my fear and I'll be changed. I'm like, no. You don't I'll like face my fear. No, I do, but if it's like food at a new restaurant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm not the I'm the person who'd face my fears and just complain the whole time and make it sucky for everyone else. Yeah. So don't So maybe there's fear. other people that are like, oh, I'm gonna go face it and I'm not I'm going to walk out of this not afraid. And that's why they go on these. <laughs> well, I mean, no, some people like get that away from me. And they, I just had a woman in, in April. She saw a snake from like 20 feet away and she started crying. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the next night I went and caught her like an, an, an Amazon tree boa. And I, you know, I said, look, are you ready? I said, I just want you to like do that. And she started crying again. And then she got really upset that she started crying and she cried more. But by like night three, I got her to sit down and like she sat next to me and she like put the finger on the snake. And once they did, once they get to that, then they're like, oh, it's not oh, bad. Not so bad, you know, and then they're like, well, well maybe, maybe you could just put it on my hand for a second. And then, I, you know, I go into the whole like, you know, you're not going to freak out and throw it in the air because then you're going to hurt the snake. Like you have a very, very small animal, you giant like pink human 
you have a very small animal in your hand that's very scared. And like you have a responsibility now to be calm because they can pick up on that. And then, and then they're, they're thinking about all that and suddenly they're caring for the snake instead of being afraid of the snake and little by little. And they, then they, they leave snake lovers. So it's fun. That's cool. That's, That's a great awesome. story. So, um, wait, no. I was going to ask no. Evan's question. Oh, are you going to ask both of them? Well, I wanted to switch over to amphibians, which oh, I don't no, know. No, 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 no. I have two questions. Okay, go on. His first question is a silly one, but we are nice to Evan. And he asked, nice. he asked if anyone has tried to ever smuggle a snake off of one of your expeditions. Um, no. <laughs> That's a good no. thing. You know, jungle law is jungle law. And when you're out there, everyone knows that, like, the rules of society don't mean as much because the jungle will eat your body really quick. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be broken down and boom. So if anybody ever tried to, like, steal a snake, I would beat their ass to death before they even reached the boat. Shit, okay. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I mean, it kind of goes against the whole thing of what you're going for, for someone to try to steal a snake. So, Yeah. Exactly. You're like, well, I came here to try and protect the ecosystem, and now you're poaching. Right. (laughs) Totally. Policy. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And then Evan's other question. Um, Joe and I truly misspoke when we said that Evan's only passion is green trees, because his other passion is is fruit flies. Also fruit flies, but (laughs) dart frogs. (laughs) So he was wondering, how often do you see them, and how many species would you say that you see in one area? um okay dart frogs we have the um oh god i'm trying to think of what the latin name for it is but it's it's the two green stripes on a black body with like semi-green legs i don't remember the 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 specific uh latin name for it those are those are a dime a dozen by us and uh we have a few few other ones we don't have a great variety of poison dart frogs you're better off in like ecuador and yasuni or something like that um where you get the really crazy ones and like the, the blues and all that stuff. We have, we have, a, we have a few, Not, nothing too crazy. Much more interesting are like the, uh, the, um, like the Amazon leaf frog, the, uh, and then like we have Sicilians and like, we have, we have a lot of, I mean, the highest reptile and amphibian diversity in the world is us. So it's like, there's just, I mean, you go out in, in January in the rainy season, there's you, you, you have to scream at each other to be heard. Even if you're like just five feet apart, because the, the frogs are just going insane. Wow. And like the, the little swamps that are out in the forest, there's like, see, that's, a, that's like a nature film that I'd like to make. So you take a little swamp and there's like a tarantula eating a frog and then there's frog eggs and all you can see all the tadpoles squirming in the eggs on a leaf above the water. In the water, there's like crocodiles and then you came in and then there's like fish doing things and there's just all these different things and you have like jaguars moving around the perimeter and it's like these, 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 swamps become these meccas for wildlife and it all i believe stems off of the frog activity because the frogs it's rainy season the water's up the frogs are coming down from the canopy so you see all these species you'd never see like 15 20 species of frog in a night and uh it's just brutal it's just like the serengeti but in like a little amazonian stream and all in the dark yeah that's that's awesome. That's something that like you couldn't even imagine being such a large diversity and within such a small area. So like what is what's an animal that and we're talking mammals, anything like that. I mean, what are people hoping to see when they go out with you and what are some of your favorite things to see? 
Well, well, people always people are very very uh, predictable with that. Everybody wants to eat that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean anaconda more and more because more and more people associate me with anacondas. So everyone's like, "Show us an anaconda," and I'm like, "Dude, it takes weeks to find an anaconda, um, especially a big one that's smart." Um, no, but like you know, when we come down, I know that I'm going to see spider monkeys, hollow monkeys, macaws, um, you know, brocket deer, tons and tons of frogs and snakes and all that kind of stuff. People usually want to see what they saw in National Geographic. So they want to see a sloth. They want to see a jaguar. Good luck seeing a sloth in the Amazon, man. It is so hard. Like go to Costa Rica. They act differently and they'll come down. Like ours are way up in the canyon. We have harpy eagles everywhere. Sloths have to be invisible. Like I've seen like two sloths in 12 years. They're just goodbye. But I've seen four harpy eagles, which is a lot for harpy eagles. All right, so those giant creatures, those prehistoric raptor fucking giant birds are eating sloths out of the trees. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I mean that's why sloths are so camouflaged. I could have a sloth in my hand and like you still wouldn't be able to tell. You'd be like, is that a is that a tree burl or is that an animal? Like you you really can't tell when they're when they're like right there. Um I see someone um mentioning tarantulas. We uh we have we have just monstrous Peruvian blacks, and uh, when they're in their holes, like especially in the rainy season, if you just if you're just lucky, a little bit like a frog going by, and they just they jump out, fangs in, and then the frog is just like in paralysis, and then they go back into the hole. It's great. Yeah, the tarantulas are awesome, and that's another thing that the local people where we are they don't interact with the tarantulas, so. It's like when I like I'll pick them up or something, and I'm like, "Look, they're fine." And like the local people, are like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, that seems that seems weird to me. They just they would rather just avoid species that they don't fully understand than take the chance. So like snakes, they may not be able to identify them, so they're like, "We'll just completely stay away from that." <laughs> yeah. No, it's weird. They really like with the snakes. They're just like, "No, we're not gonna," you know, we're "not gonna go there." Yeah, but I mean, I guess that's conditioning. I mean, it's not an environment where, I mean, we grew up, even if you have a field guide or something like that. I mean, I'm sure they grow up on, like, wives' tales and what mm-hmm. their parents tell them. And Exactly. So, exactly. like, what are, what are some, like, jungle stories or lore out there that may seem silly because of science, but it's something that maybe the locals would look out for? Um. There's not not a lot not not a lot that's silly. There's look. There's there's a story of of some people that were going down the stream near us. This very very. And I, I've I know I've hung out with the native guys a lot, but this is like a it's like a black magic stream. It's called the Agua Negro, and it's bad things always happen on this stream. Anyway, they were going up, and uh, their father and and a few of the guys I know saw this huge anaconda and they said it was just bigger than any anaconda they've ever seen. Like they're, they're doing this. And, uh, they said that it had ears, ears or horns or something coming out of the head. And what, what is interesting to me is that they, they saw it. And then another group of people saw the same thing and they had never talked about it. And then in other parts of the Amazon, there's also been reports of anacondas with some sort of a, some sort of thing coming off of their head. Hmm. So that that's that's intriguing to me because I feel like dinosaurs. They're not, yeah, like they're not these people. These people, 
they have their stories, but they are not stupid, man. They, they, their, their jungle smarts is off the charts. And so like, um, I want to know what they saw because they know what an anaconda looks like. Yeah. I mean, if anyone can pick up on what an animal is, or Thank I'm you. sure they're just so much more attuned than say a random person goes out there and it's pitch black. Out. I mean, they know their shit. So that's, yeah, they really do. Yeah. Um, that's one. And then I'm trying to think what else, uh, I mean, there's, there's, then there's like the crazy, like the, the wives tales, like there's like, you know, they have a forest spirit called Chuya Chaki, which instead of being like Bigfoot, he's a little forest man and he'll like take your things and like hide your machete at night and stuff like that. But that's, that's like, you know, I'm more interested when you get, (laughs) yeah, I'm, I'm more interested in like the crypto stuff where you're like, Oh, there's a, there's a tribe on the border that actually has the, the pelt of a giant ground sloth. And then I'm like, what, you know what I mean? Then you're like, okay. Like, mm, tell me. Interested. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, yeah. I mean, that seems like there was a bunch of, I remember back in the 90s. I feel like that is a storyline. What for, the fuck? Uh, wait, wait, wait. You cannot yeah. say back in the 90s, bitch. We were born in the 90s. You were a child. Don't try to say no, no, back but in I mean, the like animal programming back You were then. not watching animal programming or at even, three years old. Or even you like, can't say that. Even like, we're not allowed to say that. I was born that. in 1991. I'm pretty sure I remember the 90s. But anyway. You weren't watching high-level animal programming. Yes, you were watching, watching Sesame Steve Street. Irwin. No, I was not. Okay. Okay. Ten. So they would always be going after oh, some, like, mythical. Yeah. We're just going to fight this whole time. We're not going to get on <laughs> Sorry. this podcast. And he's going to yell at me after this because I fought with him. Yes, I'm actually not a conservation not conservationist. You guys are on a surprise reverse podcast where I'm a, I'm a therapist and I'm going to meet <laughs> This is an intervention. <laughs> All of your followers. Um, yeah. No, but yeah, I mean, the crypto thing is fun, um, but, you know, whatever. Okay, so <laughs> what were you saying about the animal programming like, in the 90s? Like Mark O'Shea or something would go for, like, some mythical King Cobra, spinning cobra type deal, or, um, or there would be, like, even river monsters now, you know, he goes for some local legend of a dragon that turns out to be an arapaima or something, or a sturgeon, or... So it seems like those, I mean, they're fun stories, but uh, do you feel that, I mean, people, whether it be anacondas or just all the stuff down there, I mean, is that a negative connotation? Is that like, do you want people to be very, very careful in the Amazon? Or because you seem to be very lax around everything and you... Because you're, uh, you're like, oh, yeah, just jump in the water and, you know, whatever. You're saying, do I want people to be careful in the Amazon? No, no. <laughs> no yeah, that was a terrible worded question. But he knows about the water. That's why he just jumps in. Yeah, I wouldn't but... want just any Joe Schmo to go jump in the water, I'm assuming. Can I just go jump in the water is what I'm asking. Yeah, I well, if you're with me, yeah, I mean, I'll check. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks. I'll check. I'll let you know. I mean, if if it's a lake and there's black caiman in there, no, um, you know, hell no. But uh, no, and I, I'm also I'm not lax. It's just like, um, yeah, if we're going up a stream and I see that there's a lot of stingrays in that stream, like I will act accordingly. Like I'm not going to be like, yeah, stingrays, and just like go like you know belly flop into the stream. Um, it's just that when you're in a deep river that's moving 
in that part of the jungle, like I've, I've walked those rivers, like my feet on the bottom of the river as the river's flowing. And like, I know I've seen them in the driest season. I know what's in them that, you know, there's this catfish stingrays, you know, piranha won't bother you unless you're like, you know, unless you already like, you know, open up your arm, like, like Terminator two and rip off your skin and there's all blood then they'll, then they'll, they'll, they'll finish it for you. Um, but you know, the streams, no, the biggest danger in the Amazon and this is like, this is my fun little trivia thing. To me, the biggest danger in the Amazon is falling trees. Really? Because you have those giant trees standing there. And you, the way you think of a chess piece, like they're just flat at the bottom. Like those, the, their roots go out and they're just on the ground. So when the wind starts blowing, those giant trees just go, goof. And then they're connected with vines to all the other trees. So when one tree goes over, all of a sudden all the other trees start going over. And you have like a football field that's just been carpet bombed. Like if you're anywhere in there, like you're dead, man. Mm. Now, obviously you're living in an area that's probably surrounded by trees. Is there, is there any, any like precaution that you take when you're finding some, you know, setting up camp or something like that? No. And that's, that's become my biggest fear because a few years ago I had, um, this guy wanted to go, uh, camping and he wanted to bring his date and like he was like oh like you know take us out there and set us up in a, in a tent deep in the jungle and I, I used to do this i used to take people and put them in a hammock like three miles in the jungle leave them there overnight i said don't leave don't go anywhere and i'll come get you in the morning and it would be like a fun thing that i would do with people this guy he said he wanted to camp next to this one special tree and i told him that's perfect and I even went and cleared the spot. I made it nice and flat. I, you know, cleared out the brush, went back to camp. And then I was just like, you know, not tonight. You know, he was like, all right, let's go. I got my bag. And I was like, not tonight. Like, do you have your tent? And I was like, uh, tomorrow night, tomorrow, do it tomorrow night. I was like, let's go out and do other shit tonight. And I just, for some reason, made this decision based on nothing. And the next morning when we passed that tree, the area right in the spot where I was going to put his tent, like this huge tree had fallen on it. And like, they would have been so dead that you would have, you know, if you could get to them, you'd have to clean them up with a mop. Like they would have, they would have been a hundred percent crushed. And I was just like, man, that, that two people would have died if I had just kind of felt differently. So I was like, you know what, that, that, that game is over. So now, I mean, is anyone going anywhere without you <laughs> as far as that for a night or for a day? Well, yeah, I used to do that. I used to, uh, I used to, you know, cause people read about like my solos and stuff and they're like, isn't it scary? And I'm like, well, why don't you do it? Like, I'll take you out in the jungle. I'll set the hammock up and then leave you there. You leave your shoes hanging there. You know, I give them a machete and I'd be like, look, if you have to pee during the night, get out and pee and then get right back in your hammock. Nothing is going to bother you. And, uh, some people, I would say of like the 30 people I've let do that, like 29 of them loved it. And there was one guy that was like, I couldn't sleep. I was too scared. I honestly, whatever. And he just walked back at night. I put them right next to the trail. But I mean, the jungle is the jungle at night. You hear things walking around. You hear heavy footsteps. And like, you know, it's scary if you don't know, if you don't really believe. You know, people, even if you say, look, a jaguar is not going to hurt you, they're still scared of a jaguar. It's like. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I don't know anything about a jaguar. And would I you do that? Don't want... Would you go sleep in the Amazon? And I would do it just to say I did it, but I don't know if I would enjoy it a lot. I think it would be a you little, don't have little to enjoy it. Well, 
I mean, you know, it's like, I guess like running a triathlon is something like I wouldn't enjoy it, but I'd probably want to do it just, you know, just to, to actually, no, I take that back. It's a bad Y'all's analogy. Brains work differently than mine. <laughs> yeah. It's like, for me, I always want to challenge myself to do weird things just to kind of say I did them. And yeah, you know, I'm that way with like, <laughs> just never mind. That would be very embarrassing. With like Netflix marathons. No, <laughs> it's gonna be way worse. I'm not gonna say it. Um, oh, but <laughs> well, no, what? I'm, I'm I, not asking any more questions until she says it. This <laughs> <laughs> okay. is weird. With with food eating contest, I really. <laughs> I've been in a hot dog eating and a wing eating food contest just to say I did it. Like, I know I'm not going to win and it's not going to be like that fun, but I really, really like them and enjoy them. And I think <laughs> that's my, that's, that's, odd, yeah. <laughs> that's so weird because before I think, I think Joe, I think you said, I think you're like, Oh, well you're adventurous in other ways. Like with food. <laughs> it's like, what? I always yeah. want that's coming true so now that we got a little bit into the accommodations i was just wondering i mean if someone goes there do you have like some hut set up for everyone and everyone sleeps there or what are the sleeping accommodations no 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 no. i mean we have we have we, we bring students out there we have um we have running water we have showers toilets we have beds with mosquito nets we have a roof we have a, a kitchen area and we have, we bring out a chef who specializes in expeditions. He's worked with like WWF and WCS television crews and he's a professional Peruvian chef. So like a person could come to the jungle um, as they have and who, who really hate nature and don't want to be outside. And, you know, other than walking on the trails, they, you know, you come back, you change your shoes, you get a hammock and you, you can take it at like level zero where you do nothing. And like, you know, the, the, me putting people in a hammock out in the jungle is for the people who are, you know, they're like, yeah, I did like an outward bound. I did a Knowles course. I've been camping my whole life. You know, people who they, they feel like everyone else, everyone else is, is very well taken care of because when people are most people, yes, they do react to the mosquitoes. They do react to new food. They are scared of every sound they hear in the jungle. So it's like, people just want to come back to the station after, after we're out in the, in the wild and just get clean, have good food and sit in a hammock. And like people, people need that. And I, I understand that, you know? Yeah, for sure. What's Brandon's question? Um, okay. Two questions. So Riley, our friend who keeps, I shouldn't say friend, person, friend, Riley, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, who keeps Crevos. He just caught up and he was asking you if you've ever seen variations in color on yellowtails, like melanistic or exanthic. No, uh, the yellowtails by us, it's like, they're really, it's like, they're all clones of each other. They're just, it's just like, I've never seen a snake like this. Like even like a black rat snake, like I see, you know, this one looks different. He's got a bigger snout. Like, you know, they, they have different body shapes. The Kribos is just like Kribo, 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 Kribo. It's like somebody made an army of yellowtail Kribos, um, and it's just the only difference is how how giant they are. Like they are so big that it's just unbelievable. Uh, but no, I've never seen a black one, uh, or you know, or, or or like melanistic or anything like that. No. Okay, the totally different uh, question from Brandon. 
does your work with conservation and all of that, do you feel like it affects your view on snakes in captivity? Uh, I would say that my, that's a great question, first of all. And I think that my, my view on snakes in captivity is like, look, it's, it's a snake. It's not, a, it's not a tiger um, or like a primate or it's not an animal that needs like a, a society of their own kind or something. The thing that gets me is like I see a lot of people with snakes in, in you know, really tight enclosures or when you see like the, the professional breeders that have like the filing cabinets of, you know, of like little draws and stuff. And to me, to me, you're, those are wild animals. You know what I mean? Like I, some pe- for some people, it's a business and for some people, you know, whatever it is. And then of course, you get people that have like, you know, the terrarium with the chondro in it and they have like, you know, real rainforest orchids and stuff. And that that's fine, too. Um, like anything else, it's like it's like if you're keeping a tiger, it's like, can you can you take care of it? I My concern is, is the animal happy? Like because you see that in the rainforest, they do have preferences. I mean, we see it even in captivity, like, you know, they like one hide that you provide them or they like this water dish and not this water dish. And, um, you know, there is, there's a, you know, I, I get very into animal psychology. I mean, I've had, I've had elephants in India, you know, stop my car and tell me that they wanted to turn the engine off. Like I've had full on conversations with these things. And I know that snakes can't do that. Um, you're, you're cocking your head. Like you don't believe me. No, um, not that I don't believe you that. I just, I, have to think, you to explain. I need to marinate on it. <laughs> all right i'll tell i'll make it quick i was driving through the jungle in india and this female elephant comes rushing out onto the road ears out and she's just like you know you shall not pass and i stopped my car and there's no one around it's just me and an elephant and i'm in this very small car called an i-10 and she's very upset and she's like moving back and forth and i like leaned out the window and i was like what is it what do you want and i was like kind of talking to her and then she just wasn't calming down and I tried to drive around her and she was like, no, 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 no. You're not going around me. And then she like, she like put her ears down in a way that just, I just, it seemed like she didn't like something. And I turned off the car motor. And as soon as I did that, she just got calm. Her ears relaxed, her trunk relaxed. And she was like, okay. And then, so we were quiet for a while. And then eventually she brought her baby and her two sisters across the road. And after she had done that, she moved off to the road and she kind of like gave me the sign. And then I was able to turn the car back on and go. But she really was just like, I want you to stop. I'm going to bring the kids across. And it was, you know, I couldn't understand her, but it was, it was cool. That's, what? that's crazy. But okay, you're elephant whisperer. <laughs> well, the, there are things though. I mean, anyone who's kept snakes in captivity for a certain amount of time, you'll realize that certain snakes are going to do good in certain enclosures and certain aren't, you can kind of love a snake too much. You can kind of give it too little. You can be somewhere in between uh, like the, the green tree Python. I had to, I made on this basically too big of an enclosure and it was too much for him. So I had to put him in something smaller so he would shed correctly. He would eat correctly. And then I put the Amazon tree boa in there. Amazon tree boas do not care what they're in. They will eat and, drinking so now it's like the amazon tree boa has an enclosure like way 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 too big for him and the green tree python's down in like something more minimalistic just because for whatever reason whether it be like high traffic areas or there's just animals feel secure in different things at least from my experience for sure no i mean i i i just like you know um i know a lot of people that keep reptiles and like 
for for me, the, I mean, the, the thing that the thing that drives me nuts is like you know just seeing like huge reticulated pythons in like you know a cage that is just big enough for them. It's just like it's just like a filing cabinet with a giant reticulated python in it, and it's just like, come on, man, that thing is a dragon. Like it deserves more. That is, I mean, the equivalent of a the closest thing we have to keeping a mammal in the reptile world like you can keep a tiger in a box but i mean you'll yeah. see you can see a retic in the wild be fully arboreal in a cave somewhere at a giant you know a large size and just like that talking about the boa constrictor earlier mm-hmm. i mean that yeah. shines a light on some things because there's definitely people who don't keep boa constrictors uh, allowing them to be arboreal at that size yeah yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I, now I don't know if you guys know this, but um, there's a guy in Kansas City that has, at least like a few years ago, it was the largest reticulated python in the world, Medusa. AKA the fattest reticulated python, probably. I, I, I don't I don't know the, I don't know the, you know, the, that, but she was, when I was there, she was, I think, 20, 24 feet and three, 300 pounds, he said, or something. But man, he kept her in a basement in like this, you know, cage, it was just big enough for her to stretch half out. And like, it just, this was just one of the most beautiful animals I've ever seen. It was just like, you know what I mean? Like she, she should be, I just feel like there's a, um, a contradiction between the respect and the love that everyone that keeps these animals have. Cause everyone does it. Most people do it out of complete love. They're like, I love these animals. I want to be around them. Um, and he was just like, yeah, look at this giant, you know, beautiful thing that I keep in a basement in like a cell. Um, and then of course the funny part of that was he goes, yeah, she's real friendly and he's patting her. And you know, when you like touch a snake and they recoil from you, like she just like was like, no, don't do that. And, and he's looking at me and he's talking, going like this. And all of a sudden that head, which was like, you know, and she's, she's just huge. She comes back to try and bite him. And just as she's about to nail him, he like catches on that she's doing this moves out of the way. She bites herself wraps herself and now there's a 24 foot reticulated python constricting herself and everyone's screaming and there's like they're trying to pry her off of herself with broomsticks and the more scared she gets she was just freaking out i was just like and you wanted me to pet that like (laughs) that's the thing i mean no matter how much you train there's no training a reptile that's for sure even a tiger you get in the cage that you're still taking a chance that is still an animal that does whatever it wants especially a retic yeah yeah we know that we know enough don't people who, who we don't uh, keep, keep those, those firsthand to where and they've got the wrong time of year the wrong <laughs> conditions i mean males will just go into a frenzy at a certain point and uh, you don't mess with the male during breeding season Mm-mm. no <laughs> so there's just all types of concerns so there is a question that we ask towards the end of every show Wow, he didn't even present it, and you're just asking. No, no, it? someone said it, but you would be a good person to do it to because we this. usually ask the weirdest thing you've ever eaten, and I'm assuming you've eaten some weird things. So let's get oh, into yeah. what you eat. <laughs> yeah, <Yay>, food. <laughs> okay, um, I think snake is good, but I, I only eat it if I saw a snake run over by a like I saw a car run over a snake's head, so I ate it. It was a black rat snake. I thought it was delicious. Um, Wait, so I don't think that's that. You ate a what? black rat snake in the states. Yeah, 
<laughs> you didn't even i thought it was gonna be like an amazon store you need to like survive to eat it you ate it like in your backyard or something no i just skinned it and like and like cooked it up and it was it was nice um no in the amazon though i've been stuck out with local people where it's like they're eating monkey face that night and so i eat monkey face that night um the giant palm grubs that are bigger than my thumb um taper testicles uh i yep. think what else yep and you liked it all? Uh, I didn't think testicles was any great delicacy. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't need to like prove that I'm hardcore, that I loved it. I just, I, I tried it and it was, I would eat other more tasty food if I had it, but you know, it's calories when you're out there. So um, I think that's it. I mean, eyeballs of everything, you know, but uh, has he come across any tapers? Yes, every morning there's tapers. There's a lot of tapers. I see people asking about tapers. Have um, you eaten a taper? <laughs> I have not eaten a taper because uh, I try to set an example with the local people where I'm like, look, like certain things, I'm like, yeah, look, I get it. You you hunt. I'll have some of it. Taper, I'm always like, you can't eat that whole animal tonight. Like a howler monkey, you can eat the whole howler monkey. Like, I get it. We're all going to eat this now. Um, a taper that meat's going to spoil and it's just, it's just too big of an animal. You're talking about like a 500 pound animal. It's just not, um, you know, so I try to, I try to be selective with that stuff and not like encourage them with that. Uh, I mean, I, I also try and encourage them not to eat the monkeys too. Cause you know, but. Are you on, when you're out there, are you on mostly a fish diet or do you have preferences? No, I, I eat, um, I do bring in, in real life, like at, when I'm like in like society, I don't eat like canned tuna or I try to stay. I mean, we're doing the oceans is terrible. So I just try and stay away from that completely. But in the jungle, I'll bring like, you know, like a couple of protein bars, but I hate those. So I will bring like at least one can of tuna per week so I can like get that protein shot. And like, um, but a lot of it is just rice, just rice. And, you know, a few vegetables and stuff is really simple food. For sure. Are you at the point now where you know, you know, everything that's edible and, you know, what nuts and berries and vegetation do you think you can just straight up survive out there? You can survive in the Amazon. The easiest thing you could ever do if you were in a real survival situation is just walk around at night with a flashlight and see the eye shine from Cayman and just whack them with your machete. You could just you could just eat Cayman tails until you were fat. It's so easy. That's that's not exactly what I thought you would go for, but uh, I've never done it. I've never done it. I mean, I've caught hundreds and hundreds of caimans um, with my hands, but I've never I've never killed one. I've never needed to. I mean, those uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm not that good with caiman, but a black caiman. I mean, how does that stack up to say like an American alligator? What's the size on those? Oh, black caiman will get. 16, 18 feet. They're mont. They're as big as any of them. But the ones, the thing is, in the Amazon, you have we have four species. We have like smooth-fronted, dwarf, spectacled, and black. The, in the streams, you have spectacled, smooth-fronted, and dwarf, and they're easy. You can walk right up to them at night. They don't understand the the flashlight, so they'll just stay still, which is why everybody catches them because you can just walk right up to them and grab them. Um, but if you were in a survival situation, that would mean easy, easy dinner for sure. Yeah. And we're stacking up against time, but it's one thing I wanted to talk about. Well, actually, 
uh, Evan mentioned electric eels. So you mentioned and during the show that you had an electric eel incident in quotations. Um, do you have any more legitimate run-ins with electric eels? Um, I actually, I, I don't, I have very simple run-ins with electric eels. And that is that sometimes when I'm in the swamps where the anacondas live, especially in the parts where the swamps flow out into the streams, if you, there's like these pools that are there and there's been a few times that I'm out there and you feel their warning shots. So you do feel when they're like, hi, I'm here. I want you to stop bothering me. I've never pulled one out or actually even seen one, but I have felt them there. And is that any danger? I mean, can that be fatal to a human? Yeah. There was a guy on our river who, um, they were fishing and he lifted the net out of the water and there was all fish inside this net. And as the net hit against his chest, um, the eel gave him a full shot and he just, he just went back and died. That is wild. That's a very much. Yes. Don't mess with the electric eels. Probably wouldn't kill you if it just hit your like ankle or something, but he took it straight to, it was like the, straight to he the was doing the, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's wild. Okay, I feel like you've had two like final question things, no, but I yeah, had that's another true. one okay. that's kind of stupid, but that's well, what I'm that's... the best at doing. <laughs> um, okay, living in like, you know, part of the time in the, the Amazon and India and all these like cool places, does it kind of make the states lame for you? Uh, it doesn't make the states lame for me. Um, I actually spend so much time in the jungle that uh, getting home and seeing friends and like, uh, catching, uh, it sounds really lame, but like catching up on work. Like I actually, with all of this, I still take my pr primary thing as, as a writer. Um, so like, you know, when you're out in the jungle, it's not, you know, I have my notebook and stuff, but actually getting all of that into like a word doc and stuff and seeing friends, um, you know, that stuff becomes exotic. So to me, I'm out there so much that I'm like, you know what? I just need to go and like, you know, see my dogs. Like, um, so no, I don't think the States is lame at all, man. I, I, I love it. And I mean, when I'm here in the summer, I'm out all the time looking for black rat snakes and milk snakes and racers. And like, I, there's, there's, to me, there's none of that. Like, you know, yeah, the Amazon is awesome, but it's not, um, I love my backyard. I love going on snapping turtle hunts in my kayak, like, you know, just seeing stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good Outlet. opportunity to say, like, you know, anyone who's listening to this, you can find anything. I mean, you're in the United States. This honestly has a great diversity of animals, pretty much no matter where you are. And you can go in your backyard and find something cool. Absolutely, man. I found a beautiful black racer um, earlier this month. And then uh, a few weeks ago, I saw something in, in a tree that I just, I didn't, I'd never seen. I knew I'd never seen it. I was so freaked out. And I saw my first flying squirrel in New York state, which was like, I've never seen, really I know they cool. existed. I've never seen them. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you can see new, new things in New York to where you'd think you'd see everything now. Oh yeah. Real you guys true. have seen those little orange, uh, the little orange, um, newts, salamanders. Yeah. Newts. yeah. yeah. Like those, man. Like those are so beautiful. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, they're all over. Like, uh, I think they they turn into sal. Like they're like, I forget what they're called, but they turn into newts or whatever. That's like a in between stage of. Uh, yeah, that's like the pupa form. They become ter terrestrial for a little bit, and then they go back to the water. 
Um, no, I don't. Fish kill? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm Mount Beacon. They're everywhere. Right. Oh, and then of course Hellbenders. I've never seen a Hellbender. Like, no, the states is not boring. I just the only thing I think is boring is places where people have killed all the wildlife and there's nothing left. Then I'm like, all right, like you're you're you know, then you're really asking a lot of me to to. <laughs> I need I need to be surrounded by birds and trees and stuff. I can't I can't do it without it. For sure. Now, for real, last question. If you okay. want anyone to take away anything as far as what we can do as individuals sitting right now listening to this on our drive from work, wherever the hell we live Drinking in beers. the United States, how can we help conservation, whether it is in the Amazon through your organization or anything, anything. else, anything else, how can the normal individual help? I mean, uh, okay, I'll try and keep this short since it was the last question, but it's a lot of things. It's like, you know, um, Rainforest Alliance has a, a campaign called Follow the Frog where they have like, you know, specifically buy products that aren't contributing to, you know, palm oil deforestation in Indonesia and killing orangutans, like responsible consumerism um, all over the world, like Belize, Costa Rica, Peru, India, everywhere. Travel actually really helps. Like there's so many local communities that now depend on people like us traveling to these places and, you know, coming on our tours and seeing the forest we're protecting that's what allows them to protect it so it's like that stuff really helps um you know and and just just generally supporting it supporting it. i mean but the general population of humans and like everyone in my family that's not you know people are terrified of snakes and people kill snakes and it's like you know you, you can you can do a lot just by like you know talking to people and showing them how enthused you are Who's saying ball pythons are boring? Oh my god! Oh, we think that too. Ball pythons Sorry. are the golden retrievers of the snake Sorry. world. <laughs> Except golden retrievers are happy Except to see. Golden retrievers are happy to see and move around. You know, move around. You know. I love I love ball pythons. Whatever. Why? We Why? just gotta be team. We just gotta be team. Team corn snake here. Team corn snake here. Corn snake is like the most beautiful thing ever. I don't know. I just, I just can't believe like we could, you know, I am trying to think of a, a snake that's truly boring. And we have a snake in the Amazon called the helicops and it's just like a water snake. And sometimes they have a beautiful red checkered belly, but it's like, eh. <laughs> I'm trying, you know, like, but to me, like there's so many, so many, it's really hard to call a snake boring. I just, I felt really bad for ball pythons there. I'm sorry. <laughs> What is a good way to get in touch with you? If people want to go uh, on tour, Instagram, I'm constantly posting like stories about, um, you know, different people that we've had on the tours, constantly posting our wildlife. It's funny because I wonder if the people on Instagram get tired of my Kribos because it's like every week I'm like, we found a new Kribo and I'm always like just as excited about it. I don't know if they think that I just think that I just keep team Krebo all the way. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, so yeah, social media, we post everything and I'm constantly updating about like where we, where we are, what we're doing. Sometimes we're like, you know, fundraising for a new roof or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so people can help and, and, and tag along and when they're ready to come to the jungle, you know, a guy. That's awesome. So first I want to say thank you so much for being on and for us, PortCityPythons.com, PortCityPythons on Instagram. 
Port City Pythons YouTube. You listen the to us Port right City now. Pythons at gmail.com. Yeah, hit us up. Do whatever. We have stuff available, or you just want to talk, or uh, don't say that. Oh, just kidding. You we're, get pissed off when people just to want talk. to talk. No, no don't. No. You're the one who gets pissed off when people not. try to talk this to you is... for too long. Okay, never mind. Sorry. Call and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll separate you and we'll work through it together. If you guys aren't alone, don't worry. <laughs> oh my God. She's very aggressive She's tonight. She's very aggressive oh tonight. I feel like I'm, I'm being nice. Maybe you could try introducing nice. a new kind of food into your... Um, she must be hungry. <laughs> must be hungry. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, everyone who listened. We will talk to you later. We will talk to you later. Take care.